Greetings, church and friends of the church. It is the beginning of February 2021, Groundhog Day. Um, six more weeks of winter coming. Uh, Snowmageddon out here in Pennsylvania where I am. Uh, we are 10 and a half months now into this pandemic wilderness, um, with the wilderness being that metaphorical image of being disconnected from and thrust out what we used to know as normal and being in the space of wandering our way toward a new normal that isn't yet realized. Um, so in this series, we're, we're asking, can we use this time in the wilderness constructively? As we're not monopolized by going through the motions of what was normal and we're not settled into being monopolized by going through the new normal, uh, but we have space to reflect on how we might adapt in our living together so that when we get to that future normal, it is better and it is more just and it's more peaceful than the old normal. So as we've used this time to look back on that life that we used to know and, and, and we've, in this wilderness space, looked more deeply within, we've sought to better understand ourselves as creatures, to better understand these physical tendencies that evolved within every human being as a creature, the tendency to fight and antagonize, the tendency to assume negatively about others, uh, the, the tendency to tribalize with those like us. And we've considered how these tendencies instinctively and organically take shape collectively in our life together as these forces we know as isms, these destructive isms, the racism, the antagonism, the rugged individualism, etc. We've considered many of them in this series. These, these cultural forces that counterproductively and, and tragically and ironically destroy the sense of belonging and safety and peace that we crave as a people and, and, and we falsely think that these isms will deliver us. And so uh, as we've looked more deeply within and as, we, as we've begun to look forward to the other side of this season of our life together, we've also named the necessity of a spirituality, whether that's grounded in a particular religious practice or not, that counteracts and helps us to move beyond the, the negative impacts of these physical forces. The need for a different voice within us, a spiritual voice, one that I've argued is the, is the uh, golden rule, spirituality, that voice that speaks a different story about who we are and how we are to re respond and relate to one another. And we've started to consider some different spiritual practices that can nurture that non-physical spiritual voice within us that can help us to move beyond these tendencies that are so physical, animalistic, counterproductive, and destructive. I hope that those who have been on this journey of reflection have realized that to be spiritual then is not about being mystical or magical. It's not about being habitually religious or about claiming to know the complete truth about these big things that no one can ever claim with integrity and honesty to comprehend fully, but instead about tapping into our ability to do what the other physical creatures in this world cannot do, to be rational, discerning, 
concerned for the well-being of that outside of the self, a common good and a common peace, rather than just being instinctively concerned for the self or for the tribe. Sometimes we are beautifully human in this way, where, where we are able to transcend that physicality. And other times we demonstrate that this huge part of us is still purely physical, instinctual, and we're often no better than the other animals. And so we've considered these practices that help us to grow into that part of our identity that only we can nurture in the, in the physical creation. Practices of prayer, meditation, mindfulness, gratitude, seeking honesty in what we say and in, in, in what we hear, and living intentionally within that cycle of accountability with expectations, honesty, consequences, responsibility, reconciliation, and a restoration of a sense of unity. These spiritual practices cannot be and, and are not practiced by any other creature. These are what set us apart from those who are just purely animal and physical. And in this episode, we consider the next, the seventh spiritual practice, which is fasting. And again, it's a practice that no other animal in creation can intentionally choose to do. So I wonder what you think when you hear the word fasting. Um, when, when we look back on our history, in particular, the history of our spiritual traditions uh, and religious traditions, in my case, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the practice of fasting was pretty much always about refraining from the impulse to eat. The Jewish scriptures tell the stories of people fasting for different reasons in different ways. Uh, Jesus talked about fasting. And the practice in that day was, was pretty much limited to just the intentional denial of food input. And the reason for that, the reason that fasting for them was all about food is because food was really the only thing in their world outside of the self that people could put their trust in uh, to, to ensure their well-being. Their, their wine was about 10% as strong as ours, so they, they didn't have the same kind of alcohol or ease of access to it, to which they might turn to escape their stress and feel a false sense of well-being. They didn't have money in the way that we know it and this capitalist system in which they might seek a sense of well-being through the accumulation of wealth and hoarding. They didn't have Netflix or cable TV to use as an escape, a distraction, a dopamine hit, um, resting you know, in this false cocoon of well-being isolated from the reality of the imperfection of life. And they didn't have social media or 24 seven News networks constantly feeding a false sense of well-being with tribalist opinions and propaganda. They had food. That's about it. And not even food as we know it. They weren't fasting from Reese's. They were refraining from meat and vegetables and fruit. They were responding to this one major impulse they had to self-protect to ensure their own well-being by giving into the impulse to eat, by choosing not to. That was fasting for them. But fasting is not about the food. 
That's how it expressed itself in, in these traditions, but it's bigger than that. It's about that act of intentionally refraining from something particular in which we put our trust because we think that it will serve our well-being. So our beloved dog, Dobby Doobie Dooner, only knows his impulses. Although his uh, one of his more primal impulses was surgically removed from him. He still has many others. If there's a toy, he's going to play with it. He gives into that impulse. If there's a hot dog that one of the girls drops on the floor, he's going to give into that impulse to lunge at it with everything he has, desperately trying to snatch it up before it's rescued. If there's another dog he doesn't know that is approaching our family, he has this impulse to assume with a negative bias that this dog is guilty until proven innocent. And he's going to be driven to protect his tribe and he's going to bark with some fighting words. He can only act on his impulses. He can't deny them. And even as we train him for something like his ability to not bark at the other dog, it's really just capitalizing on his more highly prioritized impulse in his doggy brain to get a treat. But we are able to make the choice to not respond to an impulse. As we've considered in this whole series, we're able to pause that physical tendency and impulse and decide to speak and act by a motivation and a vision other than our animalistic physical impulses telling us to self-protect and self-serve. Dobby can't do this, but we can. We're able to see a cookie to acknowledge the impulse that comes from that physical place to eat this cookie and then choose to not eat it. Some days we're better at this than others. We're able to see another person who causes impulses of desire from this deeply physical place that Dobby no longer has. And we are able to choose not to assault or impose ourselves on that person. We are able to feel that impulse to put on Netflix and escape from what's real and then choose not to. We are, we are able to feel the impulse to put a tribal voice on TV who will make us feel better because it'll make us feel like we belong and we're against the common enemy of another tribe and so we're safe together. We're able to feel that impulse and then not turn on the TV. So the, the most important question in considering what fasting practice is for the sake of our spiritual health is not actually the what question, although that's critical. It's, it's important to realize that, that the what of fasting isn't just food. Um, it can be the intentional choice to respond to any impulse by refraining from indulging that impulse. And so it, it can be fasting from drink, food, drugs, Fox, MSNBC, Facebook, Snapchat, certain websites, shopping, gaming, complaining, yelling, blaming, judging, attacking, slandering, rejecting, excluding, hating, avoiding, procrastinating, ignoring, or being indifferent. These 
physical tendencies we all have create all these different impulses in us for the same reason, self-protection. It creates a lot of different what's. But the most important question when we think about adding this practice of fasting to our lives is not the what, because the what could be lots of different things. And the what is the symptom and not the cause. The what is not important because, I, you know, I think we know probably from, from failed attempts to, to fast from ice cream during Lent or whatever that attempt may have looked like for us in some other context, whether a part of a religious practice or not. Um, the, the, what, the what becomes um, something that we realize is, is not magical. Uh, just, just to simply refrain from this one thing for a certain amount of time doesn't, doesn't change anything. And that's because we have to get to the why. The most important question when we think about fasting is the why question. We absolutely have to know what the what is if we're gonna practice fasting. And, and that's not for me to say what your what ought to be. That's only for you to decide um, from what you are compelled to fast because you are putting your trust in it as a source of your well-being. Um, but it can't ever just be about the what. We, we always have to get to the why. Why is fasting then a beneficial practice? Well, it's not about our body. It's not a physical practice that, that, that brings about a physical reward. It, it can, but that's not the point here. It's not just about, you know, don't eat these foods for this many days or don't eat between these hours because then you'll reap some sort of physical reward. Now, it may be that you are one who would know physical benefit from fasting, either whether that's both whether that's some uh, internal health benefit to you or whether you're someone who knows some sort of external or more superficial physical benefit to some kind of fasting. Um, you may be physically healthier if you do, but, but in this series, we're primarily concerned with the spiritual life and the spiritual health. And so we're not just after a purely physical understanding of fasting. And if we're honest, a lot of religious practice around fasting doesn't move beyond the physical concern either. A, a lot of traditional religious practice of fasting was just about getting a physical benefit. You know, in other words, earning some sort of divine brownie point that saves our physical bodies from some sort of God-imposed physical punishment, either in this life or the next. The, the Hebrew scriptures speak often of the people fasting in this way in order to try to earn their way out of God's punitive retribution, trying to save their body in this life or the next by putting on sackcloth and ashes and denying themselves food as a form of self-flagellation. Despite the prophets just as often standing up and saying, that's not how this works. This, this is not how this God thing works. You know, Isaiah was one who stood up among the people and screamed out on behalf of God. Is this the kind of fasting that I've chosen for you people? To bow your heads and lie around in sackcloths and ashes. Is this what you think God wants of you? No. More on that later. 
Greek scriptures speak of the Pharisees and other religious observers fasting publicly, showing off their disfigured faces to as many as possible for the sake of, you know, both these perceived divine brownie points and for the sake of their religious reputation so that they could try to get people around them to think, wow, they're better than I am. But about them, Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites who seek to look as dismal as possible to show off before God and before you. Instead, wash your face, put oil on your head. In other words, dress and look normal. Don't try to draw attention to the fact that you're fasting so that it's visible to others. Don't make it a spectacle. Do it in secret. Uh, and the word he uses for secret has to do with this being something that's internal to the self. Something internal rather than external. So fasting isn't about reaping some sort of physical reward. Either from some physical food-related fasting practice or a physical reward of God, um, God appeasing or religious reputation increasing fasting practice, then why? Why would we fast? If there isn't something, you know, in it for me, if God isn't demanding it and I don't want it to be worried about a lightning bolt or some sort of plague in response, then why do it? Why would I intentionally refrain from giving into my impulses? Why refrain from the pleasure of indulgent food and drink that pleases me and makes me feel safe and blinds me to the troubles in life? Why turn off the entertainment that distracts and entertains me? Why refrain from the 24-7 news feed that makes me feel powerful, right, and righteous, and more likely to thrive than those who are labeled enemy? Why not just live like Dobby? Why not just live like the idolized celebrity or political leader that gives into every impulse with abandon? And the answer to that question, why, is that when we fast, we reap a spiritual benefit that we cannot find anywhere else. So Jesus started his movement, not after he had all the right answers, or he had accrued enough power or wealth or followers, but after he had a long season of fasting in the wilderness, during which he experienced and learned that the good and true life, the life that's authentic, the life that's full of purpose and joy and meaning, was not found in responding to the physical impulses within him, but instead was found in a vision for his life and the world around him that was very different than what these physical impulses were telling him. His impulses told him to eat, to give into his physical desires whenever he felt them. But to that, he responded, we do not live by bread alone, but by the words about life that come from God. His impulses told him to flip that God-human relationship, to invert it, so that God served the will of the individual and it wasn't about the individual serving a greater will or purpose that comes from God. And in response to this, he said, we must not think that we can test God in this way, attempting to serve, turn God and our idea of God into something that serves us. 
his impulses told him to turn away from uh, the vision for himself and the world that, that God was nurturing within him and placed within him, and instead to seek power and authority over others in service of the self, to which he responded, we must worship God and serve only God's purposes. He was not just fasting from food. He was fasting also from self-serving, reckless individuality, excess, judgment, superiority, hatred, power, authority, all these things outside of the self that we have the impulse to put into the self so that they become voices speaking into our spirit about who we are and how we relate to one another. And so that is why we fast. We fast in order to make room within us for that voice that has always been there. The divine voice and impulse to love our neighbor, to seek justice and peace. This is what Isaiah was calling the people to remember. That their fasting was not about self-loathing and self-denial because God wasn't demanding that of them and because that did nothing but contribute um, to a continued focus upon the self. That wasn't a good and meaningful life laying around in the dirt. It's not this, the fast that I have chosen, says Isaiah on behalf of God. To fast from binding people with injustice. To fast from oppressing those who ought to be free. To fast from denying bread to the hungry, housing to the homeless, and clothing to the ill-clad. To fast from pointing the finger and blame at others. To fast from speaking evil of others. To fast from ignoring the needs of the afflicted. Intentionally separate yourselves from these things fast. Because only then, says Isaiah, will you discover your life shining with goodness in the darkness of the world. Until we do, it's just part of the darkness. Don't we feel like these words could be screamed at us? This is our why. This is why fasting, just like all the other spiritual practices we're considering in this series, uh, is not exclusive to the Judeo-Christian tradition, but can be found as some expression of fasting as a key practice within all of the world's historical spiritual religious traditions. So I'm to the point in my life's journey that I can now say with confidence based on what I've experienced in my own life and based on what I've observed in the lives of others as I've had the honor and privilege of coming alongside of so many people in life. I've come to know with certainty now that lives of pursuing self-serving physical benefits are lives that are left lacking and wanting. Lives that always seem to be missing something Lives that are full of wandering and feeling lost. Lives of pain from putting trust in people who claim to have all the answers and the ability to make us whole and safe, but only fail us in the end. 
lives that feel dark, while, while somewhere deep within, there's this longing to shine with the light of goodness, love of neighbor, justice, and peace. We cannot discover this true spirit until we fast from all the other things that we put into our spirits. And so this begs the question, from what do you need to fast? What do you intentionally need to hold away from you? Not just for a day or two, but for a week or two or three or a year or forever. Because you've put your trust in that for the sake of your well-being. And, and it's only left you in this place of wanting. Feeling like there's still something missing. Lacking joy and a sense of purpose. What do you need to intentionally hold away from you for a while? While you listen for that good and true spirit of love for neighbor, justice and peace to bubble up within you. Do it. Set down the thing that you admit is just for empty pleasure or distraction. Turn off the TV or the social media feed. Set down the antagonism and listen for that divine voice within you calling you to love. For it's in response to that voice to do unto others with love as we would like others to do unto us. That we discover the best, most meaningful, most authentic, most joyful, and the good life. That is the spiritual reward of fasting. Good luck. Happy to talk with anybody about this. So please feel free to reach out. Stay home. Stay safe. Wear a mask or two if you have to go out. Be well, be warm, and peace to all. <laughs>